0: So the question for us today is what is today? What's today? But what else is it? Sunday. What is it? The beginning of our salvation. The eternal today. What is today? The beginning of our salvation. Say it. The beginning of our salvation. What an incredible moment in history. Man was lost. Man was estranged from God. And God came to the virgin and in her womb was conceived the son. And it became the day of our salvation. Amazing day. Beautiful day. Incredible day. So we rejoice today. With the hymn that we sang, today is the beginning of our salvation, the revelation of eternal mystery. The Son of God becomes the Son of the Virgin. As Gable announces the coming of grace, together with him, let us cry to the Theotokos, Rejoice, full of grace, the Lord is with you. That's our proclamation to her. Why do we say that? Why do we say those words to her? Who said them first? An angel. (laughs) It's a pretty good thing to follow the voice of an angel. The Lord is with you. That's what we say. The Lord is with you. We follow the voice of the angel. So today is a day of our salvation. the beginning. A mysterious thing. Uh, So the question for us is, how does this happen in the history of Israel? Because as you kind of follow the Israel, the history of Israel, the history of the the Jewish people, uh, things are looking real good now. They're not looking good. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. that, That was a fairly decent time in the nation of Israel. Then they are led to Egypt under Joseph. That's still a good time. From then on, things turn kind of, they go south. And then they come back north, and then they go south. And then they go north, and then they go south. And then they go north, and then they go south. That's the history. It's like back and forth all the time. How, how could this happen? It's like, is there any way you would think that we'd go back to some consistency? There'd be some consistency in which the, the virgin would come out of. Out of. When, when uh, Joseph leaves, uh, when uh, when the Israelites leave Egypt under Moses, they are ready to go into the promised land, and they take twelve spies. And ten of them say, "No way, the giants are too big; we can't get in there." Caleb and, J- and uh, Joshua say, "Yes, we could go." So, what's the nation of Israel do? They don't go. They what? They don't go. And so what happened to them? They wander for how many years? Forty years. <laughs> to complete, in a sense, their repentance. To complete their, their life. And then they go into the land, and then we come into the time of the judges. About a 400 year period of history in, Jewish, in the Jewish nation. And the judges are there to do What? When Israel goes apostate and they start worshiping false idols, what do the judges do? They call them back. And that happens time after time after time after time. Then they want a king. God says, I'm your king. No, we want a king. I'm your king. We want a king. I'm your king. We want a king. Okay, I'll give you a king. But it's not going to be good. Why? Because why, why isn't the king good? Because some kings are good and some kings are bad. In the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, after the division, there are 20 kings. How many good ones? Zero. Zero. And in Judah, the southern kingdom, there are 20 kings. How many good ones? Two. are eight. Not even 50%. Okay? And then there's this time where they're... At, and the prophets all this time are prophesying and trying to correct everything. And so they come to this moment where they are exiled to Babylon and they come back humbled to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall under uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. How many people come back? Out of all the nations. 42,000. That's it. And they are humble, broken people. Humble, broken people. How did the virgin come out of that? How did this happen? The grace of God and the dedication of holy people in the midst of all this stuff we see that coming we see the power of that so for us we need to to, to see that in all of this God's plan was not going to be for him. God's desire to save mankind was not going to be taken no matter how Israel behaved God was going to save mankind by allowing this, uh, developing this life of the Virgin. So we have this beautiful moment uh, in uh, our, our, our Christian history where the Virgin is visited by uh, Gabriel and conceives by the Holy Spirit, the Son of God, in her womb. And so we look then to our brothers and sisters, Israel, brothers and sisters, what were they expecting? Because they were expecting the Messiah to come. Here they're under the yoke of Roman rule. What do they believe the Messiah is going to do? Save them from Romans. And then what is he going to do? Establish his throne. How long is he going to rule? Forever. They would conquer their enemies time after time after time. There would be no more problem with Israelite enemies. Because the king of glory would sit on the throne and defeat the enemies over and over and over again. You know, that's what Jesus did. He just didn't feed, defeat the enemies they thought. You know two enemies he came to defeat? Two enemies. Which ones? Seven. Death and corruption. Kind of came under the radar. Came under the radar. And to do that, he had to, he had to enter the womb of a humble virgin. You would think he would be born in a palace. Where was he born? In a cave. You'd think to be born uh, of exalted royal parents. Who was he born of? Carpenters. Carpenter was his his, his uh, uh, father, uh, his uh, stepfather in a sense, and uh, the virgin, a young teenager, quietly was his mother. So we see this expectation. So this moment in history is unbelievable in a sense. It's so awesome because Christ comes under the radar and just blows everybody's mind. And it takes them until after the resurrection to figure it out. They're still going there. If you read the the gospel text, the the disciples are always always asking questions. When are you going to sit on your throne? Who could be first in your kingdom? So we have this moment where we look back on it and it's a real powerful thing for us, but it's a, it's a difficult thing for them to comprehend. So, the Virgin Mary comes and she enters this, 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 uh, this effort that the Lord is going to make to defeat the enemies of death and corruption. So what does she do? What is her, uh, what what does she engage here for us? We would say, and we read in the hymns, and uh, that she was obedient. She was obedient. What did her obedience do to that which had come before her? Her obedience redeemed <coughs> the tears of Adam's and Eve's disobedience. You begin to see what happens here is that all the things that were wrong her appearance began to correct. She redeems the tears of Adam and Eve's disobedience. Adam and Eve were prideful and she redeemed the shame of Adam and Eve's pride in her humility. She was pure. And she redeemed the destructive impurity of Adam and Eve in her purity. She was loving her God. And she redeemed the tragedy of the love of self of Adam and Eve. So we see this great contrast begin to happen right in front of us. That this redemptive act that she begins to participate in is really a redemptive act for all creation. Not just for Adam and Eve, but for us. So what what can we take from this feast today? What can we celebrate today? One thing is that she can redeem us from our disobedience. She redeemed Adam and Eve. From there to sleep, she can help us in our disobedience. In the things that we know we should not be doing. And so, what, what does that mean for us? She said words like, be it done to me according to your word. Be it done to me. Just humbled herself. Be it done to me according to your word. Words like, bless are those who hear my words and do them. Keep my words. Do my words. So we we see now for us, what then can she help us? We ask her help, what can she help us do? She can help us do good. So today, is the day of your salvation. But today, God's going to put things before you. And tomorrow he's going to do the same thing. And the day after that he's going to do the same thing. He's going to put things before you where you can choose to do good. So, with the help of the prayers of the Virgin, what can you do? Good. It's going to be there for you. You don't have to go look for it. It's a good thought. It's a good word. (coughs) It's a good activity. There's stuff that God puts before us all the time. That all we have to do is choose the good. You know what the Virgin Mary did all her life? She chose the good. Every opportunity that came her way to choose the good, guess what she did? She chose it. Now you can do that. Christ is in you like Christ was in her. You can choose to do the good, to think the good thought, to say the good word, to do the good deed. That's there for us. May she help us there. In humility. She abandoned her agenda. You know, it's very interesting. After all of that happened uh, with Mary and the, Ga- uh, the Archangel Gabriel, it said she stood up and proclaimed to all the people in Israel what had happened to her. She went to the newspaper and she told the newspaper. She got on the radio and told the radio people. She got a spot on TV and told them what happened. What did she do? She pondered it in her heart. She said what? Nothing. She took it and pondered it in her heart. You know, if we would ponder things of life and not immediately react to them, not immediately speak out when we have them, you know how much nicer our life would be if we just didn't react to stuff. How many times have we all had an exciting thing, or uh, even a great idea, or some emotional experience, and we, or some desire to correct somebody, and we just go do it? <clears throat> you know, my thing would be my encouragement through her would be ponder it. Ponder it. Ponder it. Let it sit there for a while. What should I say? How should I say it? When should I say it? Should I say it at all? Ponder it. Let it be there. You know, if you go through that exercise, you'd save yourself a lot of grief. I don't do that very often. So I I grieve a lot. So purity says she abandoned the world. St. Athanasius writes to virgins saying this. You have the conduct of Mary who is the example and image of heavenly life. So in this purity, how can we engage trying to live a purer life. You know, I would I would encourage you to just turn down life. Turn down the body. You know, it's interesting, during Lent, I just have a practice of not listening to anything in the car. No tapes, no radio, no nothing. You know how nice a car ride is now? No commentaries on the radio. No music you no know nothing just just being quiet just letting life be quiet that helps you develop a purity pulls you away from those things that attach us there's so much noise in life i mean everywhere you go somebody's doing this in the car doing this in the car it gotta be gotta be connected Somebody's texting me, somebody's texting me. <laughs> I gotta respond, I gotta respond. Quiet. Quiet down. Her life was very quiet. And so she was able to touch that sense of purity. So I'd encourage us to be quiet. And then finally, love. St. John of Kronstadt says this about the virgin. Above all, she gave herself to him to be his mother, bore him in her womb and afterwards in her immaculate arms. She nourished him with her immaculate milk, him who fed all creation, cared for him, caressed him, suffered and sorrowed for him, shared tears, shed tears for him, lived her whole life for him alone, and was wholly absorbed in his spirit, one heart, one soul with him, one holiness with him. How exalted, how wondrous, is the unity and love and holiness of the Immaculate Virgin and the Divine Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So for us, may we take that to sense as an example. I want to share with you from my spiritual father, one Lent he came to me. Actually, I went to him and I asked him, I said, what is your focus this Lent? And uh, Father Richard said to me, well, I'm trying to love the world less. And God more. Pretty good, huh? I love that idea. Just love the world less. Because I'm not trying to get. I'm not trying to exit the world, but I'm just trying not to. Be, I'm just trying to be less attached to it, less dependent on, it. less dependent on things. In a sense, even less dependent on people, less dependent on uh, just this life, and more dependent on God. Just a bit. Father Richard was great at that because he could move just very comfortably that way. It didn't need to make a miraculous change, but it had to be a change of attitude. I don't want to be so attached to this world that I lose my love for God. I want to be less attached to the world. So may her prayers help us with this. May we love a little bit less this world and God a little bit more. Your prayers. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.